0: Thank you for joining us for our weekly Calvary Church podcast. Please take a moment and visit InvernessCalvary.com to get connected with us. We want to know what God is doing in your life through this ministry. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you may do so online. Now prepare your heart for a word that we pray will bless your life. Well, hallelujah. Well, we're beginning a brand new series called A Culture of Honor. A culture of honor, and uh, I guess it was about eight years ago that the Lord started me on a personal journey of discovery on this topic of honor, And, um, and, and it really just began to walk me through something that I've kind of felt like is a missing component or something that's been lost. Uh, by the church, or something that's misunderstood just because of our culture. Um, You know, as as I was growing up, um, we used to do something almost every Sunday, and that is uh, we would take a drive after church to go to grandpa and grandma's house on a Sunday afternoon, and the family that could would drive in. And we would all descend on Grandma's house. Did anybody else do that, or is that just a southern thing? Okay, okay, good, 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 good. And so we would drive out there, and that's just what we did as a family. We just gathered there. And it was really a a way of honoring uh, Grandma and Grandpa and just really uh, being with them. And I'll never forget, you know, uh, Grandma had a real role a significant role uh, that she played in my life. Uh, She actually was the first person to ever that I recognized later to ever give me a word from heaven. I I did not even know what that was. I was a kid, and I come running in her door, and uh, as we we did often, just going to honor grandma, so what do you do? Your your parents, you tell your kids, hey, go give grandma a hug, because, you know, I don't know why, but as we get older, we smell different, and we're, I don't know, I don't know, we're less huggable, so we tell our kids, you go hug them, you know, go hug them, you know, and uh, and and so my parents did that. I come running in. I was just honoring my mom and dad. I go, and I, I go, and I, I collapse into grandma, and she's beautifully squishy, you know, and just a awesome pillow I just hey grandma and I never forget this I was uh I must have been six or seven uh, she she was there uh, shelling peas she was shelling peas really good yeah she was shelling the peas and she she pulled me off of her and had both hands on my head and she looked at me and I didn't I didn't even realize what was going on she looked at me and she says God has given me my preacher I'm like All right, I'm going to go play, you know, (laughs) because I had no idea what she was talking about, but I would remember at age 21, those words come echoing back, and it was in a moment of honor that uh, my destiny was locked up in, and you know, Grandma had one of those big, big Bibles. You guys ever see those big family Bibles? They got people's names in them and everything. Matter of fact, if your children are over in children's church right now, there's a big family Bible that Pastor Carl is probably preaching from today. You know, and uh, you know, as I was thinking about this, it reminded me of this story. I heard this story about this, uh, this young man who, uh, you know, they were going to grandma's house. She had a big family Bible and uh, you know, and, and uh, they went in, into the house and this, this kid was kind of enamored with that Bible. And, 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 and his mom leaned over to him and said, listen, that, that Bible has such awesome things in it. And she's like, He's like, really, really, and so he runs over to the Bible, and he opens it to Genesis, and there in Genesis, uh, uh, a pressed leaf fell out of the Bible that Grandma had been keeping, and it fell to the ground, and and he was like, whoa, and 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 Mom, wanting to you know kind of spur on his investigation, she was kind of like, oh, what. What was that? And you know, thought maybe that they were then gonna tell a story about grandma pressing leaves in Bible. He had opened it up and saw the leaf, and she's like, What is that? And he's like, Adam's underwear fell out, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So sometimes When we're seeking God and we're reading His Word, He surprises us with what we're going to find in His Word. And I promise you, as we spend the next few weeks on on this message, I think some of you are going to be just pleasantly surprised by what the Word has to say about honor. You have to understand that today in heaven there is a massive celebration going on and that celebration it's setting is a culture of honor now many times in the scriptures what we find is a clear instruction about how we should treat one another and how we are to interact with one another we need all of those instructions they're really good but there are times when we get to peer in to what's going on in heaven that world that we can't see now but one day will and what we find in those stories from the book of Revelation is that heaven is full of celebration but it is Filled with a culture of honor. There's the Father sitting in His majesty upon the throne dwelling in an unapproachable light. And then there is the Son that is now seated at the right hand of the Father, given the place of honor, the Father honoring the Son. And there's the Son with His face shining like the sun in its strength. And He is honoring the Father because all He did in this world is say what the Father said and do what the Father was doing. And there's this honor that's going back and forth, but it's not just the honor between the Father and the Son. There's an honor that's happening where where God looks down on humanity that lived for Him, and He takes a crown He fashioned and puts it on the heads of people called elders. And those elders God honors with a crown. But it doesn't end there, because in this culture of honor, these elders then take the crown of honor, and they honor God again by casting it back at the one who honored them. It's honor and honor and honor. Heaven is the culture of honor. And as I begin to speak, you know, and really search God's heart out for this, I I couldn't help but remember How Jesus taught us to pray. Do you remember the Lord's prayer from Matthew chapter 6 in verse 9? He says, in this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to make a bold statement today. That heaven is a culture of honor. But church is supposed to look like heaven. Church is supposed to look like heaven. He said, he says, on earth as it is in heaven. That's why when we come together, we sing. Because the church is supposed to look like heaven. For those who don't like singing I don't know what to say. You might not like heaven. There's, well, okay, no, you'll like 30 minutes. There's 30 minutes of silence in heaven. That's it. 30 minutes in all of eternity. But otherwise, we're singing and we're praising and we're dancing. We're like, you know, some of you have a very American view of heaven. You thought, mm, when I go to heaven, nobody's coming near me. I'm getting a big property. It's going to be gated. I'm gonna have to buzz the angels in, okay? <laughs> I, I gotta, I gotta let you know, heaven's uh, all of heaven is gated. <laughs> you don't get one of your own, okay? And and it, and it's a culture of honor where you love spending time with people, and you love spending time mostly with God. It's a culture of honor, and the church is supposed to be a reflection of heaven. That's why when we come together, we're going to pray that the the sick are made well every week right down here. We're going to pray that people would experience the salvation. Why? Because it's supposed to look like heaven. We're we're praying that we as a church, when we gather, it would be brothers and sisters celebrating and seekers coming to find out why do they love each other so much and why do they have this joy. It's, It's the culture of heaven. Honor. And the church is meant to be a reflection of heaven. Well, let's answer this question. It's a very simple question. Is What is honor? What is honor? Honor simply comes from this Greek word, teme, which means to value, to esteem, by implication, pay to pay respect. It literally means this, to assign a value. It means weighty. Uh, you, know, I, 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 you know, I spent the most, most of the time growing up in the 80s, okay? And there was this show called The A-Team with Mr. T. Before he was in Rocky Three, you know, he was Mr. T. And he, he had, he was the first guy I ever saw wearing so much gold, it was like covering everything up. So as a young man, I, I kind of liked I, I kind of liked gold. But you know gold kind of looks the same, but how many of you know that go- all gold is not equal? And the only way that you know the value of the gold or the item or the necklace is to pick it up. And you can actually tell its value if, it's the proper mixture of gold, 10 karat, 14 carat, 24 carat. And you can tell its value by its weight. Have you ever picked something up and you thought it was one thing and you picked it up and it was super light and you're like, oh man, this is worthless because of its weight, because it wasn't made with quality. And I want you to understand that honor looks like that. The picture is there's a scale and whatever you are valuing or whomever you are valuing is weighed out and you're assigning a value to it and I believe God wants to have us increase in a culture of honor. It's to value, esteem, pay respect and to assign a value Now listen, there are four areas every believer is called to walk in honor. The first is government. The second is family. The third is civil. And for those of you who who are just wondering what that would be, that would be like your coaches, your teachers, your... You're your people in the community that have some kind of authority, but it's, it's kind of just uh, a, a normal everyday life kind of, a, a, of authority. And then the fourth area is church. Now, the fourth, uh, those four areas are the areas that every believer is called to walk in honor. And isn't it interesting that as I was preparing, uh, you know, and, and God, I felt like God was leading me to preach on honor, that it would be right smack dab in the middle of a political season. And I just want to tell you that a religious spirit and a political spirit will try to come against you as a believer and what it brings every single time is division. And the answer to dealing with those spirits is not just aligning yourself with them or saying, I'm right. It is saying, I will honor. The antidote to a political spirit is honor. That's very hard for many people in the room to swallow, which is probably why the Lord has me teaching on honor, because if we'll honor, we'll get honor's reward. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about that in the days to come. Now, there are three, I, I call these uh, directions of honor. And you'll have to jot these down because they're not in the notes. There are those that we honor who are in authority over us. There are those that we honor, uh, uh, honor who, are, who have an authority, who are our peers. And then we extend honor to those that God has called us to raise up. Uh, Jesus called those little ones. And honor is meant to go in every direction. And we're going to talk a little bit more about those things, but we actually cannot walk in the revelation behind those unless we get the first area of honor correct, and that is honoring God. Before we learn how to honor men, We have to learn how to honor God. Now, the honor principle is revealed when God uh, actually was judging an Old Testament priest named Eli. Eli had two sons, and they were out of control. They They were doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And it is in this moment where God is judging the behavior of a priest... Who, who has stepped outside of God's design plan for him, that we find out this honor principle. And it's from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 29. And it says this. This is God speaking to him. Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me? This isn't this message, but you could circle and highlight that. Is the temptation for every person on the planet is to honor sons more than they honor God. To make yourselves, listen to this, fat. God calls someone fat. That's awesome. To make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now, the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me, shall be lightly esteemed. There's a couple of things in history that you kind of need to know. The priest, what they were called to do is the people would bring various sacrifices, and many times they were often meat, and this particular meat was boiled, okay? And what the priest was supposed to do is they were supposed to take a fork and plunge it in to this boiling meat that was being offered to the Lord. They plunge it in, and whatever landed on that fork and whatever they pulled out that is what would belong to them. But Eli's sons would send their servants and say, no, 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 bring me the raw meat. I like mine over a wood fire grill. I like my spices, and I want the best cut. Now, see, the reason that made God angry, it wasn't because they were, they were, they were eating meat. It was because they were not trusting God would meet their every need. And so, that when they were plunging that fork in, it, there, was a, there was an element of, you would call it chance. God calls it provision. That They had to rely on God's provision. And whatever they pulled out, they were to be satisfied by that. And yet, now God says to them, because of all of these reasons, and there were others. I'm removing your name from the priesthood. I'm actually not going to allow this to continue. And then he says this statement. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. I, I, I had to say this. This is certainly isn't this message. But one of the greatest Uh, One of the greatest lines of Old Testament grace is the very last statement in verse 30. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. If you were God, how would that verse look? And those who despite me will live seconds and be eternally judged. That's actually not what this says. It says, and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. There's grace there there's mercy there so in practical terms church how do we honor god cuz okay. it's a real it's a real question how do we honor god well first we start by honoring his word we honor his word we value the word and we obey it. I love what Psalm 119 does. Psalm 119, of all of the chapters in the Bible, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, by the way, 176 verses, okay? It is next to Psalm 118, which is the very middle of the Bible, and Psalm 117 is actually the shortest chapter in the Bible. It's fascinating Bible facts there for you. But Psalm 119 elevates God's Word like no other chapter, in my opinion, in the entire Bible. And here we find the writer of Psalm 119 valuing and honoring God's Word. And listen to how he does it. Psalm 119, verse 38 says, "...establish your word to your servant, who is devoted to fearing you. Turn away my reproach, which I dread." Listen to what he says. "...your judgments are good, behold." I long for your precepts, revive me in your righteousness. I want want you to hear what the writer is saying. He says, I long for your commandments. That's what precepts mean. It means a collection of commandments. He says, I long for it. He's saying something out of the heart level, from the heart. I am longing for your commandments. Why? Why? Because they're good. Because they're good. Because they're valuable. We see this demonstrated in one of the greatest sermons ever preached, which was called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this, At the very end of the the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 7, he he says this, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a man who built his house on the rock, and the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Listen, what he's saying is, is that you did not only hear the sayings, but you did them because you valued them. And then when the testing came and when the storms came, there was no fall. But why was there no fall? I believe it's because of that statement from 1 Samuel chapter 2. Those who honor me, or how how can we say it here? Those who honor my word and do it and obey it, I will honor them. Well, let's let's just walk that out. Here's 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 how that walks out. God says, when remember honor means to add weight. It means to add value. So, God's saying, when my words carry weight with you, your words will carry weight with me. When His Word carries weight in your life and He gives a command, you may not understand it all, but you say, Lord, I value this from the heart level and I'm going to obey, not because I have to, but Lord, because I recognize your goodness. You know what He says? I will honor you. And the way He honors you is your words carry weight with him. So what does it look like for the man who built his house upon the rock? Here's what it looked like. He valued God's word. He honored God's word. And so when the storm came and the wise man cried out in prayer, God says, I'm going to honor his word. His word carries weight with me because my word carries weight with him. That is the beautiful revelation. Now, here's what I am going to say. God is also a mighty God of grace. Anybody ever pray this kind of prayer? Lord, if you get me out of this one. I don't know a more selfish prayer, but it's actually the one that I prayed right before everything became brand new in my life. It was very selfish, and God answered it. God answered it. So I'm not saying that that it is this way all of the time. God is God. But I would say as an overwhelming principle that we see in God's word, God said, if you will allow my word to carry weight with you, your words will carry weight in the spirit with me. There there was a man who lived, who who the book is named after, who grew up under Eli, by the way. His name is Samuel, and of him, this is what it says. It doesn't say this about anyone else although I think it applies to Jesus. It says this, none of his words fell to the ground. And that word, word, it's kind of a weird way of saying that, but that word, word in the Hebrew, it actually means common words. That even his common speech, as he was just going throughout his day, it had a powerful and profound effect on the hearer. It never fell to the ground. So the Lord is saying to us, if the way we can honor his word, when we honor his word, and his word carries weight with us and it leads and guides and directs us, I believe the scripture is also saying our words carry weight with him. And he says, Ask whatever you ask whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. Why? Because your heart's married to his. Now this begs to question because if you're if you're a little bit of a thinker, you may you may come along. Okay, well that's 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 uh, that's that's like the Bible. Okay, so we really really honor God's word. Well, how about a word that comes through a prophet? Now that's a little different, and I'm only saying this because we we experienced a prophetic ministry uh, last week. Okay, and so how how then do you do you uh, is there the same application in order to honor those words? Actually, it's a little different. It's a little different. You honor people, you honor their callings, you honor all of that. But you do not honor the word, you honor the God of the word. And when you get a word from heaven, I believe the way that you walk in honor to any word is you you have three places you could put it. One is on a plate, one is on a shelf, and another is a garbage pail. Because the Bible says, let one prophesy and let the others judge. Please do not go to your Bible and read it as if you are judging it. Don't do that. But the Bible says that when you get a prophetic word through a, a person, that there could be some flesh in there. So what do we do? We say, man, these, this word that I got in my, uh, you know, m- maybe many of you pr- uh, receive pr- profound personal words, which I, I've been hearing great stories about. So you put that on a plate, and you consume it. and It's so good, and it's so refreshing, and it's so right now. You're just like, yes! But then some of you get a word, and you're like, huh. That could be God. You know where that one goes? On the shelf. And you say, God? I'm just going to put that out here. It's not going to govern my life. It's not going to tell me exactly how I'm going to take my next steps or everything, but I'm going to put that on the shelf, and Lord, if that's you, hallelujah. I welcome it. But then you got the other one, and God's speaking to you clearly, and then you you, you get the other one, and it comes. You're like, mm. well, God, that must have come as a test, so here it goes. It goes in the garbage pail. You say, the words come, and sometimes they're a test? Absolutely. Because God doesn't want you following a man. He wants you following him. And we have to learn how to honor God and all of the gifts that he gives us. I believe, uh, you uh, you know, my wife may say otherwise, but I believe I'm God's gift. according to Ephesians 4. That's it, though. Only from Ephesians 4. A gift of an apostle, a prophet, a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist. I am one of those gifts to the body for the equipping of the saints for the works of ministry. I am God's gift. However, it is your responsibility to go to God's Word and see whether the things that I am saying are so You do not just take everything in that I say just because I say it. No, 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 no. It only stands the test if God's saying it. And the Spirit of God comes on it and makes it alive in you. But I am God's gift. I got an amen right down here on the front. (laughs) <laughs> we honor God. We, <laughs> we honor his word. We allow his word to carry weight in. How about this one? The second way we learn to honor God is we honor his presence. We honor his presence. In the, in the book of Exodus, is probably one of the most telling verses about the value of of God's presence It's when Moses was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and and now they're, they're they're endeavoring to go to the promised land and in Exodus chapter 33 verse 14 and he said this is God speaking my presence will go with you and I will give you rest then he Moses said to him if your presence does not go with us Do not bring us up from here. Why did he say that? Because God's presence was there. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. Listen, the, the thing that separates us from the rest of the planet is not love. It's not that we gather on Sundays. It's it's not that we, we have great music. It's not that. It's the presence of God. The presence of God on a person's life is the distinguishing mark. The presence of God on a church is what makes church. If we have church and God's not here, we're having a lion's club meeting. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and we're talking about him, but the lion's not here. And can I just tell you, it's much better when the lion's here when the Spirit of God is here, when He is moving and touching and changing lives. It's much better. And so we have to honor. We have to count His presence as weighty. Bill Johnson says it this way, We live our lives mindful of the dove. You see, at the baptism of Christ... It's a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit given. It says, and when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Some translations would say, and rested upon him. Now, the Holy Spirit's not a dove. He came like a dove. And he rested on him, alighted. If you had a bird on your shoulder and you didn't want the bird to fly away, there would be a certain way that you would have to conduct yourself so the bird remained. Now, when we had one child, we had two birds. We got rid of the birds and got more children. <laughs> I thought the children would be less messy. Not true. But these birds love to come and sit on the shoulder. They would, they would come. Uh, I had one that would sing to our feet. Seriously. Seriously. Be sitting there, wiggle your toes, he'd start dancing and singing to your feet. It's kind of cool. These birds would love to just be with you. But when you had the bird on you, you had to live aware of the bird. We didn't want to just go outside because then the bird could fly away. And we put the, the bird in a wrong environment. So we lived aware of the bird. Now, eventually, one of those birds, which I rescued from a tree in a park, we let his wings grow out, and he he took off. But the other one we kept for years and years and years. And by the way, strangely enough, in this sermon I'm remembering right now, his name was Eli. (laughs) Fat little bird. Um, And I I just want to say to you, for believers in the house, the Spirit, for many of you, has come and rested on you like a dove. And, and we've, heard, we've heard the commandments of God, like, don't touch this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And really the way we should live is aware of the dove. Where are you carrying him? What are you saying in front of him? Where are you carrying that presence and how are you carrying that presence Because the Spirit says, do not, the the word says, do not grieve the Spirit of God. And so we've got to learn to value His presence. One of the things that we've done probably, I don't know that we've done very many things well in our youth ministry, but one thing we do is when the presence of God comes in, we pause. And we teach our children, this is why we gather. His presence. Because if you ever find his presence, you find why you've been created. And so we honor his presence. By being mindful of all that he wants to do. And the last thing I would say is that we can honor God. As we honor his passion. This is the way I would say it. We honor his passion. The word passion literally means suffering. Uh, So that's why you would have uh, at Easter time, uh, you know, different cantatas and different things that say this is called the passion of the Christ, the suffering of Christ. Now, what what it means to you and I, is something that we want so badly we're willing to suffer for it. Um, I, I I, really really enjoy the outdoors and um, uh, this, uh, I mentioned this before that fall time is one of my favorite times because we get to go in the woods and we're hunting whitetail and we're doing all of that. Well, I have my youngest son Asher who is seven years old and um, and you know, when you're seven and you're going into a Florida swamp, it could be challenging. So when I first started taking him hunting, he, he went because he wanted to be in my presence. He came with me. And so we would walk and trip and fall and make so much noise. There was one time I took both boys hunting. That should never happen again especially after having burritos for lunch. I'm just saying, it happened. So what did I do as a dad? We laughed for three hours straight in the blind. There was no animals within three miles of us. So we just laughed and laughed and laughed, and we spent time in each other's presence. Uh, But uh, recently, I took Asher with me, and I noticed something. Because he had been in my presence the last few seasons as we would go out, I actually saw this outdoors hunting thing becoming his passion. He had taken on something that wasn't his to begin with, but because he had been in my presence, he then began to possess my passion. And he tripped, and he even got a thorn in his shoe, and we took it out. He's like, you know what he says? You know what he says? Dad, can we go today after church? I noticed walking out, you know, that he was leading in the trail. I'm like, this is his passion. It was mine at first, but because he spent time and he honored my presence, he's now taking on my passion. And I want you to know something here today. People are God's passion. People are God's passion. And I would say it even this way. The lost is his passion. The disconnected from God are his passion. Romans chapter 5 gives a beautiful picture of this. And in these three verses, we see, we see three descriptions that we should take note of. And it begins to see, it begin, we begin to see God's passion. It says, For when we were still without strength that's the first description when we were without strength that means we had an inability to help ourselves and if you've known if if you've given your life to Christ you realize that the only reason you have salvation is because it came as a free gift that you received by faith Through his grace. It is only then that we we say, man, I experienced salvation. It wasn't because of my works. It was because of Jesus Christ's work on the cross. He says we were without strength. And then it goes on to say, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. So we were without strength and we were ungodly. That means not godly. No matter how good you are now, you were not godly then. Maybe I should say it this way. God does transform us after Christ. And we might be able to say, well, I'm a little farther along than that guy. Well, I I just want to tell you that's a dangerous road to go down because you are not to live your life comparing yourself to that guy. You're to live your life comparing yourself to that God. So we stay humble and we stay connected and we say, God, I'm still in need of mercy and grace. I'm ungodly. That means not like God. And then we, 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 we keep reading this, for scarcely a righteous man will, die. One, will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone might even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love, you could say passion, toward us in that while we were still, what is that word, sinners, Christ died for us. So we were without strength. We were ungodly and sinners. That means continually doing what God said not to do and by nature separated from God. And this is what he says. In that state, you are my passion. And I demonstrate it. When you are learning to honor God, you are learning to honor His passion. Um, a couple of days ago, and I'm I'm going to try to get through this without really getting choked up, I, we walk and pray in this building, most of the time, every day that we're here, Monday through Thursday, and as a staff, and about two weeks ago, I was walking in this place and I had a profound encounter with the Lord. I don't know if it was holy imagination or a vision, but it had such a profound effect on my heart. I would say it was probably a vision. I was walking somewhere in here and it was as if the Lord caught me away to a place that I had never been before. I found myself in a, a field that was about to be harvested. It was so full of harvest, it wasn't like a cornfield, more like a wheat field. It was so full of, of, of harvest, there were no rows. So, so navigating it, I, I understood I, I needed to be really careful. Really, really careful about how I was moving because there was, I didn't want to, I didn't want to injure the harvest. And then in that moment where I'm very aware of of the harvest, then I see what I think is the Lord's hand. On the yet unharvested harvest. And I see his hand, and he's running his hand over those who I understood didn't know him yet. And in that moment, I was—I was—it was like I was pierced through. Because I, I, I first, I, I had this awesome awareness that that is in Him, but it was deficient in me. I was like, "Oh God!" Because somehow, in the way He was. Touching the unharvested harvest, I could feel the love and I could feel the passion and I could feel the sense of, of, of his overwhelming care, even though most of them didn't know and realize that he was there. And I, I, I was in that moment, and then soon after, it was as if the Lord said, "You know, not only is this deficient in you, I believe it's deficient in the church." And I just kind of, I just kind of step back for the for for a moment, and and the Lord says, "You have to honor my." that which i was willing to suffer for must become your passion you see in second peter chapter 3 we have the great promise And the great revelation that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There is this passion in God's heart that says, I want them all. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God through Christ, you hear the heart of God saying, I want you all. I want you all. You're not discarded. You're not cast off. I want you all. If you could feel the love of God pouring over you, you would hear His voice saying, I want you all. We honor God by honoring His passion. And I believe The way that Calvary is going to answer her call in this community is by embracing a culture of honor. Where we first honor God above all, and then we learn how to walk in a culture of honor toward our brothers and sisters. And the yet unharvested harvest. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes today. I want you to ask Holy Spirit. What are you speaking to me today? What are you saying to me? It could be that you're here today and you, you don't have a relationship with God through Christ. And you were wondering if he loved you, if he was for you. You thought maybe some of you even came in here and said, Nope, God's thrown me away. He has not. He loves you and you're his passion. There may be some sons and daughters here, you actually have been living so willfully that you've been doing your own thing and you've wondered if you've lost out with God. I've come to announce to you that you are his passion, you're what he was willing to suffer for, and he assigned a value to you when he bankrupted heaven to have you as a son or a daughter. He sent the most valuable commodity of heaven to pay the price for you. And his name is Jesus. Does he value you? Your value is not determined by your last name or your bank account. Your value was determined when God sent his only son to pay a price you could not pay for yourself. And then he says, you are that valuable to me. Receive gift of grace. I hope you've enjoyed this message from Calvary Church. For more information on this message or to listen to other teachings, visit us at invernesscalvary.com. Connect with us for all the latest news on services, events, and more through our website or by following us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening and God bless.